0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to JavaScript Jabber. We are checklist today. I am Steve Edwards, the other bald host with Facebook Radio and the voice for being a mime, but i still your host. With me coming live from the Purple Room is Mr. AJ O'Neill. How you doing, AJ? Yo, Steve. Yo. Whatever happened to you? Yo, yo, yo. Take it away, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today... Uh, in the uh, tradition of a multinational podcast, we have Mr. Vitor Alencar. How are you doing, Vitor? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. And where are you coming to us today from?
1: So, yeah, I'm, I'm right now in Berlin, Germany. Berlin. Okay. So,
0: we are here to discuss a topic called Module Federation. And what it is and how it works and why it's important. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are like me that when you hear the term Federation, you instantly think Star Trek. But uh, that is Did not you mean Star Wars? Wars. Huh? Did you no. mean Star Wars? Star Trek, you know, the Federation of Planets, United Federation of Planets.
2: Are, I you guess getting your star- are you getting your stars mixed up, AJ? I was thinking episode one and, you know, taxation without representation. Never mind. Oh, right uh no that's
0: the imperial senate and that's different you need to go read up on (laughs) your star history i think
2: i do i do
0: (laughs) anyway moving on to our topic but before actually before we get to the topic vitor why don't you tell us a little more about yourself uh who you are what you do why you're
1: famous why people should give you money (laughs) etc Of course, of course. So as you know, like my name is Vitalenka. I'm actually from Brazil. So I've been living here in like Berlin for quite a while now. I'm a senior engineer and now like engineer manager in uh, one of the startups here uh, called Finn. I've been doing content creation for like the past three years. So this is why I got to meet like amazing people like then, right? So Um, I started to talk about JavaScript and like about JavaScript and scale as well. So lately, I've been joining a lot of events and sharing a lot of talks like module federation. And yeah, this is where I'm here today. Excellent. Okay, so
0: let's dive right in. What is module federation?
1: Yeah, so basically, module federation is a feature on Webpack that allows you to distribute your code in a centralized way so it's it's take leverage of like more um uh, micro frontends so pretty much i think all the companies that i know that get to a certain point that they are like super huge and they really want to still introduce you know like greenfield projects they struggle with you know like centralized front end and I what think- does that
2: mean that's not a real term centralized <laughs> front end
0: yeah, yeah, I have, I have to admit I haven't heard that term before either,
1: at least in this context. Yeah, yeah, just just because same as the backend, right? Like I think at some point people start to decouple backend service from monolith to microservice, and now they're trying to get back to monolith, but in a more flexible way. You have the same thing for the front end, right? Like you have a big, big front end, and how do you introduce new technologies? Just think about, you know, Air France, for example, like they have a huge system on how you book like tickets and how you you know go from start to finish in the checkout process. And if they wanted to introduce a different framework now, that would be pretty hard, right? Like I think they, their system cannot stop or they're going to lose a lot of money. So how do you break this down in a way that you don't stop, but you allow you to test new stuff and like to also divide teams so you can do stuff in parallel, basically.
2: Well, wouldn't you just, I mean, isn't that just, Called a web page, you just you just have a different page and it loads different scripts. Uh, not not really, right? Just imagine a t-
1: like just imagine that you have 150 developers working the same system. At some point, they're gonna run into trouble and bump into each other, right? So you have usually how like the companies go. You have teams that they start in the beginning checking just the start of the flow, like you know, like how people come from Google. And they land in your page. So they have different metrics. And then you have teams that do the checkout part. They're very much interesting of like customer just pushing things to checkout and finalizing the process. And usually if you want to run a lot of A B tests, you have to be very careful, right? Like because those features can collide to each other. So usually what happens is that you have different teams doing different parts of the system, but they're still like working the same system. So. The idea is with module federation, you can create self like you can encapsulate those modules with all their business logic, and then you can allow people to consume them remotely at runtime. This can give you more flexibility to divide in different teams that would be very specialized in different areas of the same system. So they can have their own deployment, they're not gonna like bump into each other, they can work in parallel, and yeah, they can be more specialized.
0: Okay, so if I understand you, this is specific to one micro front ends that are using Webpack. Did I understand, understand that
1: correctly, or is this a bigger... Yeah, now, now I think more out. bundlers are supporting this, but Webpack was like the bundler that actually made the feature available at the beginning, it was very specific for Webpack. Now, I think Rollup has adopted, and RSPack is also um, providing support for module federation. So now it's getting more and more spread out, basically.
2: So on the back end, if I'm going to try a new framework or something, I just create a different service, and then I have an API boundary. And so the services are completely separate. And when one needs to speak to the other, Mm -hmm. it just calls the HTTP API and grabs it. Or in some cases, if I'm feeling really lucky, I might talk to the database of the other service directly, but that's... (laughs) generally ends in sadness yeah. so when i think about a front end <laughs> and having different applications i think the same thing you you do a redirect you have url parameters mm-hmm. so you know it redirects it has some parameters so that can load the state and the other app can redirect back you know and that's how oauth works and lots of other things where i mean oauth is essentially microservice on the front end so is this like how does this compare to that kind of model because I don't I don't have a brain space for this yet.
1: Yeah. So just imagine that you have like let's say an e-commerce, right? Website. Yeah. And you notice because let's say you start with Angular One and now you really wanted to push to try a specific team for to use React. This would be very messy, right? Either you're gonna have to completely isolate one part of your system, have a full redirect and then have a different module being like, you know, another URL loading. Um, with module federation, the idea is you can create what they call a host. A host will load modules, right? And you is can a,
2: what is a, Is that a web page? What is that? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> basically, there's this two basic concepts in module federation. One is the host, one is the remote, right? So imagine a page that this page is going to be the entry point of all your JavaScript.
2: Index.html.
1: Yes, exactly. This page will load Webpack and we'll just orchestrate what's going to happen afterwards. This is what we call the host. I'm going to host modules and those modules can be fetched at runtime. So you can have your index page and now what you can do, basically, you can have different remotes. Those remotes, there are pieces of logic, self-encapsulated, that can be even different frameworks so you could have your button like the checkout button being served from a different host uh, Mm -hmm. or a different remote sorry that's react and your whole application can still be angular but you're trying this specific module that's in a different remote so now you can have those pieces like being orchestrated at runtime and you can define which pieces of your software are different remotes. So you can divide them. You can divide teams to work specifically with parts of the system, and they all live inside the same host. So it's like Lego pieces, right? You Now you can encapsulate it in little containers that they know how to run. They have their own business logic, and they can be fetched at runtime.
2: So I, I'm guessing that the host has to contain the router and has to communicate the params between these components slash apps? Yeah, it's the, the, the host is responsible for injecting
1: the remote to the page, right? like telling how you're going to run, basically. So the host has to decide how to resolve all the dependencies and how to basically orchestrate how things will run. So when you're defining a remote, for example, you define a set of properties that say, okay, I need React version X. I need those dependencies. Let's say I use Tailwind or whatever. And when the host is getting this remote, it's going to try to resolve those dependencies. But this is happening at runtime. So it's like, it's promise-based and you can literally consume those things over the wire. Yeah, and I think it's pretty good, especially for, like I mentioned, like big systems, right? Like you have you, you have to scale your product. You have to keep innovating. And especially with legacy systems, it's very hard to move things forward because you have a lot of logic, you have a lot of structure that was built over time. And to to have this flexibility of to say, okay, I'm going to get the banner, V1 banner from uh, this remote here, specific remote that's hosted as a S3 file, for example, at AWS. And say, yeah, I'm going to have a different checkout that's being hosted, like, from another S3 file, and be able to change those configurations on the fly, it's very nice. It gives a lot of different possibilities.
2: It seems that the trend has been more vertical integration. So if I'm using, I'm not really a front-end person. Mm -hmm. I do do JavaScript libraries for the front-end, and and I do Node and Go on the back-end. But Things are becoming more vertically integrated. You have stuff like VET, and I don't know what all the other ones are, but typically your build process is streamlined the whole way through. So it sounds like this would require a different build process.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can still have, for example, let's say a monorepo, right, with all your different micro front ends. And the only the requirement, especially in the beginning, was that you have to install this plugin from uh, Webpack, the module federation. And then you tell like, you, your configuration files, like the host and remote configuration files in the Webpack config, and this would tell how you bundle the application. So it gets decentralized because you're literally like, building static JavaScript or sharing how to consume JavaScript over the wire. So you can have still like a monorepo setup that has all your like dependencies and how you interact with them. It's just that how you deploy those applications, it looks very much like you're going to host a static website, for example, and just push to like SC3 bucket, for example. And then you can have versions of it. You can still version it and it's still going to work. It's just that now you can have those micro projects very specialized that specific teams can work in.
2: Well what what I mean is like people people use something where there's an init command and it boilerplate's out their project. Yeah. And then they use a build command and a dev command and it's kind of for it, it's for the whole you know the whole project. Yes. So does this with webpack is there something like that where you can init well I mean it sounds it sounds like what you're saying is that this is for when you already have a project that's been established and you want to add something else into it, but how does that how does that work with things like what Steve you're gonna have to help me out what are the what are the current build systems on the front end right now?
0: Well, like I said beats is is. The one that seems to pretty much taken the world by storm. And it uses, well, Vite does the hot module reloading and all that, but then it uses Rollup under the hood to actually do the bundling for deployment Yeah, production. I mean, you got Webpack, and there was another one, was it Turbo? I don't know if it's 37 signals Turbo. There's another one that. There's a you know, Turbo
2: Pack. <laughs> okay. Yeah, ne- and there's, there's a few. Is next is next. In that same category,
1: mm, yeah, no, like it, Turbo no. would be the the bundler for Next.js. Yes. Yeah,
2: Next okay. is
0: a React tool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't know much about it, not being a React person, but yeah, but no, Next and that's a different area. But the
1: the, the module federation plugin is available in like a very large like number of bundlers, so you can use with Webpack, but you're not restricted to it. Like RSPack supports it, Vite supports this as well, so you can use with beat right like you can use reflow rollup es build so all the those tools like all of them okay. they support this scenario so you can have actually what you say that you're going to enter the project run your dev command right and you can even specify i want to run just this front end i want to run the whole application so spin up all the micro ends or all like the remotes with this host and you can have this running with just one simple command. So, And also for the build, right? You can just go and say, yeah, build my application and I'm going to just orchestrate the deployment or like the build process for all of those micro frontends within this project. So you're not restricted in terms of setup. Um, the whole idea is to give you more flexibility. So the bundle is almost like, it's, it's actually almost the opposite. So now you have um, those small JavaScript files that tells you like, okay, I'm self-contained. I contain all my dependencies here. So let's give you a more concrete example, right? So let's say that you have a specific place in your system that uses use a, a date format library, but you only use in this specific date, place. So this can be a part of the micro front end. And you're only going to run, you're only going to consume this dependency once you go to the specific place where this dependency is loaded. So in runtime, you'll not only get the whole module, but you get the dependencies that come with it. So you're like literally saying, okay, my application now doesn't depend on this, uh, this library for the to boot, basically. I can access it and every other page that doesn't use it, I'm not gonna load it. But when I get to the specific point, I'm gonna load this micro front end, this remote, and I'm gonna load all those dependencies as well. And yeah, that's all over the wire. So you have you can even see the network requests being made and all the JavaScript um, coming over the wire and how Webpack, for
0: example, will load and run it. So here's a question I think of when I think of modules is does you know there's always the the conversion from the old common JS required to ES six? Where does that play
1: in this whole structure? Does it? Uh, I don't think so, because it's more like how the bundler, like in this case, how the plugin will read your module, right? So it's already it's already pushed with some webpack meta tags, so it really understands what type of like uh, remote you're getting from. So if it's just like, for example, it's just a piece of JavaScript that you want to share, it's just going to run it. Right. If you have any dependency, it's going to try to look for the module resolution, which is like you're going to try to see where the this, this dependence is coming from and then enable this uh, for the user. So it doesn't really collide with the, the like the modules that you see in Node.js. It's not about that. It's more like how you consume those little bits of JavaScript uh, through the plugin. So that's. Like the the plugin, the module federation plugin knows how to do the
0: module resolution for you. So, if you want to use module federation, then this is a it'd be a Webpack plugin or a Beat plugin that you, you know, drop in. Yeah, and I assuming in the plugin you're going to have some configuration about routes
1: for where your, you know, your yeah. remotes are, where your hosts yes. are. Yes, you you create basically the declaration of a host and a remote. So you say that you have an application that's host. I'm going to consume different remotes. And for every remote, you have also a declaration that say, I'm a remote. I'm going to be hosted at this specific place. Those are my dependencies. This is what I need to run. And when you load a remote into a host, the host tries to resolve those dependencies and to load the specific piece of code. So it's pretty cool when you want to have, for example, different frameworks running in the same page, or let's say that you, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with, for example, Redux. I think Redux was super popular like not long ago. And the idea that you have a centralized store, so what you can actually have, let's say that you have, the way that you communicate with your front end is through messaging. So you send a message, say, hey, I have the state, this is the state transformation, and you have a remote that's just responsible for the store. So now you have a remote that knows all the data, and then you can make this remote to talk with different frameworks. So I even have an example, for example, in one of the talks that I share, a web application that I built, there was a e-commerce where every step was a different framework, just to show that, you know, we can have uh um, we can have Svelte, we can have React, and we can have pure JavaScript talking with the same store and all responding in real time. So there was no like reloading of the page, nothing. It was like they're all talking to a, like a data layer, and this data layer is updating the data and I'm consuming those remotes in runtime. So if I want to say, okay, now I'm just gonna have react on this website then i would change the remotes to only point to the react ones if i want to say now i want to have this mismatch of like react and vue i can also do that so adopting new frameworks could be easier because of this architecture and of course there is some pros and cons right like there is some like advanced strategies um, but this is pretty cool because i think very big companies now there they they're really using it um, and that's become more and more common to see. So, for example, like the TikTok web page use module federation um, to load different modules. Um, and other big like e-commerce like Lululemon, they also use very heavily module federation. And for them, it's pretty nice because it really means that the way that they do A-B testing, it can be very much efficient. Like you can have different teams build different product grids. And if one fails, let's say there's a bug in one. With just changing a feature flag or something they can do on, remotely on their side, they can share a totally different configuration. Um, so the next time that you reload the page, you have a different sets of remotes and you consume different versions of those like encapsulated logic bits.
0: So it seems like this is a lot of work on the uh, remote end, right? Because you basically have to define all your different remotes and your. Uh... Your URLs and where the code is so is the code just sitting i mean for instance could you pull it from npm are these github repos that code sitting in is this compiled code sitting where that you're pulling in how does that whole process work when you're in terms of defining your your remote yeah yeah so
1: you you have two different strategies we have basically configuration that you define at build time so you can define like before building your application or your sets of remotes and your all your entry points, basically, right? You can say, okay, I have a host and I have three different remotes. You know, all my analytics, they're a different remote. Um, all my UI comes from a different remote. And that's cool. But they also have some like advanced strategies, what we call dynamic remotes, where you basically create uh, a function that can. Get uh, a specific remote at runtime as well, so you can tell your system to say, okay, right now, uh, depending on a feature flag, um, please fetch this different remote. So basically, everything that you can predict that you're going to need at build time, you can just specify in this webpack config in the host and remote. But you also can consume them uh, as you know, like a variable in your system that you say, hey, by the way, now try to fetch this remote that are going to pass as a URL, as a variable, and try to load it. And then you can have some try-catch right to prevent something to happen if you cannot reach the network layer or if you have to take into account any kind of um, missing package, basically. And there is tools nowadays that they really help you to orchestrate this because the same as Docker containers, right? If you have if you go to the backend, that would be the, the most close analogy, I think, that you have your system, you have to scale and you orchestrate how many machines you have, you know, you have auto scaling. So you can have pretty much the same idea in the front end. And you have, for example, dashboards like Medusa that really tells you, it's it's quite a crazy. Like you, you see there, okay, I have this product here, my e-commerce, and those are the micro front ends that I'm requesting at runtime. And those are the versions. And you click a button and they can change the version. And then your application would just react to it and you don't have to redeploy it, basically. So you can do this whole orchestration um, also at your side in your dashboard and trying to connect those um, modules together.
0: So what is the, it sounds like the idea of this is being able to handle multiple front ends, right? Multiple, whether it's different, Frameworks or whatever your use case may be, what do you think? And is there a hard line? What is like minimum scale where would you would want to start using something like this? Like two separate frameworks,
1: five, you know, what? That, that's a very good question. I think when, when I give talks about module federation, right, and micro front ends, people get all excited, like with all JavaScript frameworks, they wanted to try it right away. But I usually, what I recommend is like it's about scaling off teams. I think, at first. So I would not try to do this at small products because there isn't, I I think the benefits are not there. Like, small, uh, like, uh, applications, I think when you go to medium to larger size, and especially of team size, then it starts to make sense, right? Because I think the flexibility that you get here is that you can have specialized teams. You can have the checkout team that, for example, works only with checkout. It doesn't have to know all the design system. It doesn't have to know all the analytics. It doesn't have to know all those parts of the system that is important for the system as a whole. But like, if you have a focus team, like three people working just this specific path, they can take advantage of the speed of building stuff and just connecting to the main application, right? Not having to do a full like pipeline deployment to build the whole thing, just to make sure that you know they change a button. So the idea here is if you have a medium to large uh, team in a big company or like a big project, you can break it down into smaller micro front ends. Those micro front ends can talk to each other. So I think that's kind of a downside for like small applications because you add a lot of overhead. You have to orchestrate them. You have to make sure that, you know, you, you create some boundaries for specific errors that cannot bubble up. And for small teams, I think this is the downside. But for bigger teams, you're having those problems already. And for bigger companies, you know, like Bulemon, Best Buy, and, you know, Epic Games, uh, they all use modern federation. And this is why they really need this flexibility of pushing things over the wire to be able to react to client feedback or be able to test things and do very heavily A-B test. And for those
2: specific cases, I think the... Um, the pros uh, uh, are much better. Do you know of large companies like that that are using this in production? I think Lululemon
1: is the one that I, I already mentioned, right? Like they have huge user case, like they are like super huge e-commerce um, and they use more Like if you open their page right now and you look for like remote entry on the network tab, you're going to see all the JavaScript that comes to it like as remotes. So they, they are quite big and then, they really use model Federation at, at, at production.
2: But sorry, what was the name of them? The Lulimon? Lulimon? limit Oh
1: Blue?
2: yes, yeah, sorry. Lemon? Yeah, yeah. Blue lemon Blue, Okay, I I'm not familiar with that. I mean Okay. Blue yeah, Blue
1: they lemon. they are like a, a big company. Um,
2: oh Lululemon, they,
1: yeah. Yeah. E commerce. Oh, yeah. Um, last time that I checked, Adidas. Has also used it oh, okay. uh, mm-hmm. Shopify partners and uh, yeah you have also I think Best Buy I checked and they also use like um, Motor Federation and TikTok Web uses it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> TikTok <laughs>
1: yeah and it's quite it's quite interesting to see right because if you think about TikTok and how many people are there every day to be able to create something that really scales and stays up no matter what. Um, that shows that, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some pros to be seen there. Um, it, it it also has a lot of challenges, right? Especially when you try to orchestrate those things and in production. It's not easy and you still need some extra tools to make sure that you can have observability. And this is the area that I think that I see that's start to grow now where people identify that module for is cool, And now it's, they are starting to build more tools around it and make the process a bit more seamless.
0: So what are, so was talked about scale and when you would want to use this. Um are there any anti-patterns or contraindications or whatever term you want to use for when you
1: shouldn't be using this, even if you have uh appropriate size? Yeah, I think it, it also depends on how tightly connected is your system, right? If you I think first step before module federation, you should be able to break it down into separate areas. So what I see a lot of people failing is that they have a business that it can be very much like one just unit, uh, it's like, it might be complex or not, but it's still one unit, so there's no point of breaking this down into different teams or different um, like adopting micro-frontends, right? Because federation is just a layer of communication for micro-frontends. That's, that's the only thing that does. Um, so for those ones, I, I consider like a bad practice to just jump right away. And what I like to do is actually do the incremental adoption. So a lot of people also just jump the gun and trying to convert everything to, okay, I'm gonna have 10 like little remotes that just do one thing. Um, but in fact, if you just take first the core parts of your business and things that you, everyone uses, right? For example, analytics, it's something that every system that I build, at some point, you have to put some tracking there. Um, that's it's a very good candidate for uh, micro front end. And if you start, those boundaries you have much more chance to succeed because there's i think there's a lot of information there as well on how to create like specifically micro front ends on this like specific for this area of like analytics and then you can start to encapsulate the logic and then i think later stage you can do ui you can do all the parts of your your system as well but i would start very slow like separating the most important parts of the system and then Migrating things a little bit to the host and remote um, areas. So, out of curiosity,
0: I know you mentioned showing one of your uh, apps in your talk, and we got a video uh, link to that in the show notes. Um, do you have any like any Git repos or anything that shows this in use? Being the visual person that I am, my head is sort of swimming right now, just trying to imagine what code looks like. And so, do you have any like actual
1: solid code examples that you can? Just basic stuff you can look and play with? Yeah, I can provide as well. I have one repo of a workshop that I did that I did a very small e-commerce where like, we have different uh, micro frontends for for, like checkout, for the product list. And it was even interesting that you have replication layers because what you can do is you can also mismatch hosts and remotes. So you can have what they call like Bidirectional sharing, where I'm a host, but at the same time, I expose part of my system as a remote. So in this specific example, you can see that I have like three endpoints and uh, three files that all of them, they show the same store, but they are different microfontends. So I think I can share and show the link to the GitHub repo. I just have to open it.
0: So we've talked about and just looking through the notes we have here. Um, should we talk about self-healing?
2: Oh, yeah. What's, yeah. What's that about?
1: <laughs> yeah, this is one of the advanced, I would say, strategies that we can do. It's pretty fun. I also show you in one of my talks, I can also share here, uh, a link to the, to the GitHub. That's really interesting is the concept of, for example, in React, the way that we catch errors is through error boundaries, right? So we have those error boundaries that we basically catch exceptions. And the idea here is like, let's say that you have a new version of a button, right? Button, I think it's very easy to, um, to visualize. And you want to push this to your current um, micro front end, and you want to have this distribute to production right away. The idea is that you can build a system within your host that if any exception gets caught, you can also tell how to revert to a previous version so the the dynamic uh loading of like a new remote can help you to switch those uh, those remotes on the fly basically, what it does is let's say there is an exception being thrown in your application you can tell to okay can you try to get that version one right and in runtime, we we'll just swap this component and it show you the previous version that was working so you can have like this capability of self inhaling the whole application because now you version um, areas of your code, and this can be swapped over the wire as well. Like on the fly, you can say, "Well, this little checkout module that I built doesn't work. Try to get the previous version that was working." And yeah, you the user would just perceive something loading in the screen, and then it's gonna get the previous version right away. And another thing that's there as well, it's about trying to solve um, dependencies. So since we have this shared decentralized architecture, let's say that I have a dependency list in one of my micro frontends that's not present on the host, but another micro front end has, has it. And what the Webpack module will try to do is just try to solve this dependency on the fly. So it's going to start to go down to the tree asking who has this version of React, for example. And if one of the remotes have it, they would just load for the specific remote. So now even like the dependency tree can be also decentralized. Um, So the the main host can like heal itself and try to find the correct dependency.
0: So it sounds like self-healing is basically just fallback. So if you don't have something, you fall back to a previous version or fall back to this other repo yep. or something like that, right?
1: Yeah. The difference is that it happens um with the user in the page, right? You don't have a reload. It's like literally like you see you click the button. My example that I show to uh to people in my talk is like you have this specific button that you click if you click three times, I'm gonna throw an exception. And what it does is literally like swap the button to the previous one after the exception throw. So Ah, uh, you're still going to be able to capture the the, the error in your Sentry file or whatever system you use for like to track errors. But for the user, it's like, oh, the button just changed, and if I click again, like the whole system still runs and still like keep running, and it doesn't disturb you, basically. So let me make
0: sure I'm still getting, trying to get my head around this a little bit from a build time. You're talking about all these fallbacks where. Uh, the self-healing term, where okay, this isn't here, so now let's fall back and use this. So how does that work from a bundling and production standpoint? So in other words, yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm going to have a fallback to something else, but I pre-bundled everything and it's downloaded to the browser. So is it, A, a dynamic where it's going out and reimporting that JavaScript now, and there you run into the whole issue of all the JavaScript downloading we're trying to do less of to make things faster for slower connections <laughs> and older phones, or do you just load the snot out of everything and then it just, you know, ahead of time, with huge bundles, and then
1: it's just flipping back and forth in the prebuilt JavaScript? It, it's it's dynamic, right? It happens over the, the network. So the host knows uh, what it needs to, like receive all the remotes only, right? So this is the only JavaScript that gets initialized. And as you load those remotes, then you're loading the code that gets, that's basically like bundled into it. So this button that I mentioned, it's a micro front end. So my host doesn't have this button and imports as a JavaScript module, right? It's a normal JavaScript module that's like the same way that you do any kind of import. What it does, and as soon as you enter the page, the module federation plugin will try to solve this module. So it's going to make a request for a certain endpoint. Then you're going to get this JavaScript back over the wire. And this promise will resolve. And then you're going to have the module being injected into your page. So this fallback system, it's at the runtime. So when the user like, is using the application, basically what happens another module gets loaded. So you basically make a request to an, this specific endpoint. And then you get more JavaScript, and then once it's cached, it's in your page. So even if you do the same request again, if it's cached, you're going to get the, the version that you had before. So it sounds like you need to make your remotes pretty lean and mean. Yeah, that's that. That's one of the downsides, right? Like exactly what you mentioned. That I mean, it doesn't come for free. Now you have this dependency of like your code now needs to be orchestrated. You need to tell which parts of the system can be there. At like build time, so everything that you need from the start and whatever else you're going to have being loaded over the network. And, yeah.
2: So that, that's not going to be included in a Webpack plugin. Where it, it is there a meta framework for all of that that you're talking about?
1: So, like, the, the module Federation plugin would kind of, like, put into your into first build The information on how to solve the do the module resolution basically. So when you run the host application, the host application would have the piece of code that knows how to resolve modules.
2: Okay, but where I'm confused is what is the brand name of the thing that you're talking about?
1: So yeah, module federation is like technology. Like it started as this Webpack plugin, and this is what you use um, to do the module resolution, right? It's a webpack. Well, plugin I, keeps... I
2: get, I get that, but when you're talking about the orchestration layer, like what's the what's the brand name of the orchestration layer that you're talking about?
1: Yeah, that's that's the whole module federation. Right? I don't, I don't know if they have a different name to to do that. Um, maybe, yeah.
2: Maybe there is more terminology that I'm not aware of. It. I'm well, not, I, I mean, not... okay, okay, so. Maybe I misunderstood. What do you mean by orchestration layer?
1: So, the idea is you install this plugin in your current project. When you build it, now it will have in your bundle, first bundle, like the information on how to be a host, mm-hmm. right? A host knows how to load remotes. So, the information of like, okay, if I make a request, to this uh, bundle here, like to the specific JavaScript, I would know how to do the resolution of it. I would know how to load and to request uh, more dependencies or how to just inject into the page. And the remotes are built to also like to output this specific, uh, what they call entry point. And it's the specific file that contains the JavaScript that will be included in the page in the case, the remote. Once you request it,
2: sounds like almost like a lambda function. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the kind of thing I'm trying to figure out. Is like, is it tied to a specific infrastructure? Um, is it is it just your hosting static files? I'm not. I conceptually, I think I get what you're saying, but mm-hmm. the the specific where does this Physically live, or or how do I how do how do, you, how do I click the button to have it you know, roll back or or something like yes. that?
1: Yeah. So this this you can create in your system, right? This is uh, like the also the example that I gave in yeah. React. I create a little hook that was just like responsible to do the request for me. So basically, the whole system was okay. If you see an uh, exception being uh, do a request to this endpoint here and now talk to with the module resolution to inject this specific module in my page and replace this one. So this is what was doing at runtime. So the difference is with frameworks, again, like React, Beat, you, the idea is that you build once, right? Like you build and whatever you push live stays live. You cannot get... From like different um, remotes, right? Mm-hmm. But in this architecture of like micro front ends, you can use module federation to communicate how you're going to load different modules or different micro front ends.
0: Okay, so I guess I think we've, unless there's any other topics about this, we haven't covered what's, uh, I guess as you put in the notes, what's the takeaway? Yeah, so
1: I think this is. Quite exciting, right? Because it goes, it's a different approach to what we have seen being becoming more and more popular, where we are adding those frameworks, for example, like NAS.js, where we we are building very complex systems and like doing server side rendering as well, and a lot of things. But I think for very huge and large um, complex applications, the flexibility of being able to push code over the wire and really like have those Lego pieces that connect to each other. This is, this is pretty much needed, right? So I think this is a very interesting different type of architecture that it's, I believe that's going to evolve more and more and more and become more and more popular as uh, same as, uh, you know, microservice, uh, the idea of microservice, they start to evolve and people understood where to adopt microservices, where like monoliths make more sense. I think you're going to have something similar to front end and how we build Frontend.
0: Okay. Well, I know my head is spinning. Um, AJ, I don't know about yours, but, uh, this is definitely a, uh, definitely a, for larger code bases, larger teams, larger companies. And a lot of us may or may not ever see that complexity, but it's certainly out there. So. Uh, I did find the Webpack Module Federation plugin, and we uh, will have a link to Vitor's talk on Module Federation. I think he's mentioned you give a couple of code examples and examples. It uh, was hosted by Prisma, I believe. Uh, so we'll put that in there for sure. Um, and with that, we'll wrap up our talk of module, federa- module Federation and give my head a rest. And so we'll move on to PICS takes a part of the show where we get to talk about uh, whatever we want to talk about. Uh, It doesn't necessarily have to be tech-related.
2: AJ, you got anything for us? Let's see. I'm excited for the possibility of, well, the reality of the Nintendo Switch 2, but there's not not any... I, I, I guess I'll pick the channel where I've been listening to the little tidbits of leaked information here and there as it arises. So there's a channel called Spawn Wave. The guy talks about all sorts of video game stuff, Xbox, PlayStation, whatever. But he's kind enough to put in his description time codes to everything. So whenever he posts a video with Nintendo in the title or description, I just click in the description and go to the part where he talks about Nintendo. And it's been interesting to hear uh, the rumors about the switch too. And I'm really hoping that it is in fact backwards compatible. Um, other than that, I am still going to pick the, the things that I picked last time. Cause I just have been getting so much valuable, uh, information about relationships and the difference between men and women. And in the kind of about a month now that I've been researching, uh, this kind of stuff more I, the quality of my marriage has improved so uh suzanne venker with the suzanne venker show and her her podcast that the slogan is is something like be countercultural and she she uh she speaks hard truths to women but in listening to her you can you know you can reverse engineer the you know the with both both of these people that i'm picking the other one is Alison armstrong and her book the queen's code you know it's it's very very uh interesting to to hear them speak to women but then you know about men and be like oh okay this is the difference this is where we're miscommunicating this is why i'm like why aren't you getting this? Or like, why are you looking at me like I'm stupid? You know, just a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. And then, um, you know, of course they talk about intimacy as well and have some great tips there. So that's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick that because that's what's those two, those two podcasts. Well, Suzanne Banker has a podcast and then Alice Armstrong, she has a couple of, of, uh, videos online but the the book the queen's code is like her her condensed version of everything she's learned and the however many decades she's been doing uh relationship coaching so i'll go with that i don't think i have any technical picks for today
0: all righty i will go next uh before i get to the high point of every episode my dad jokes got a couple other legit things to pick um interesting article today uh, regarding transplants, uh, it's an AP article. And it's, I don't know how well known it is, but there's really a shortage of organs available for trans people that need transplants for the kidneys, heart, liver, etc. And so in one case here, it happened in, um, I think it's was Washington DC. I'm not sure. That oh, was Maryland. Uh, a guy got a pig heart transplanted into himself and supposedly it's all going well. Initially, I know that, uh, from my very slim understanding of medical technology that I learned from watching ER on TV. Uh, I know that they'll use pig's feet to practice sutures and pigs have enough, um, morphological similarities with humans that that's why they try things like this. So it'd be interesting to see how long this heart lasts in this guy, but, uh, If it does work, then that's certainly great for those that are uh, literally dying in need of uh, transplant uh, that are unavailable. Uh, Second is a couple articles that I saw on passkeys. I haven't really delved into this too much, and it's basically a a way of uh, allowing you to sign in something without passwords because, I mean, I don't understand that because I know passwords never get hacked and they're always very reliable. Yes. But they want to get rid of passwords. <clears throat> I'm kidding people. And so, uh, there's a post, GitHub has them generally available now. They can use pass keys. And then there's a corresponding article about what are pass keys? Found both of these on, on Hacker News today, uh, written on a place called Tom's, Tom's Guide it talks about what are pass keys and everything you need to know about the death of passwords is the title. So uh, I haven't delved into these too much. The, Best I can understand this from uh, skimming through the article real quick is that basically instead of soaring on somebody's server where these keys would be available in a, you know, if there's some sort of data breach or hack, uh, you store them locally. And uh, so anyway, that's all I know right now. We'll put the links in the show notes so that you can read them. Uh, and then we get to the dad jokes of the week. Um, so recently I went to a uh, Gambler's Anonymous meeting. Uh and the leaders I didn't have a lot of faith because the leader started off by saying, I bet you're all happy to be here. <laughs> I bet. Anyway. It, it, all right. So uh, that one gets a groan. Yeah, it gets a groan. <laughs> um so the other day my son came in and told me, he said, Dad, I watched the guy do a hundred straight push ups. Can you do the same thing? And I said, sure, son, I could probably watch somebody do 500 straight pushups. I think he just needs to be more specific in his questions, right? Mm -hmm. And then finally, uh, the other night, my wife and I were were out somewhere and and, uh, we got a flat tire on our way home. We were driving home and she asked me if I could change a tire. I said, why? What I'm wearing is just fine. So those are the dad jokes of the week. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Vitor, what do you have for us for
1: picks? Um, I have actually two books. I think the first one, Um, I don't know if you are much into music, but I am very much uh, into music production as well. So there is this famous producer called Rick Rubin. Uh,
0: Yes. I've heard the name.
1: Yes. Yes. I I absolutely love him. And I, really like the way that he handles music production. is very much different from every other producer. He talks a lot about meditation and removing complexity from music. So he has a book called The Creative Act, uh, A Way of Being. And it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, I already bought it. I'm dying to receive it here at home, like waiting for it. It's super cool. Um, and the second one is actually a free book if you want to have it online. That's also super nice. It's for editor's money. Um, he works at google and that's also talks a lot about like philosophy and the ways of seeing life i like those things a lot so the book is called the stoic mind so the what it talks yeah, the stoic mind so it's talk a lot about stoicism mm-hmm. oh, stoic gotcha okay yes okay. Okay. and i think the the online version is free and if you want to have the hardcover i think you pay for it but it's also very very nice book you know talking about music i'll uh
0: i i used to play so when i was growing up i played uh uh trumpet going up through high school had a lot of fun but never really uh uh continued after college just because the time i mean with something like that just well any musician you know it just takes time to practice and get into it and so i sort of let that go by the way but then i picked up guitar little bit i was in college not enough to really i didn't really study it was you know i can play chords and because i had the musical background so recently i started taking piano lessons again and i'm 54 i'm taking piano lessons for the first time so that tells you uh, don't let age stop you um and i had actually started taking them a few years ago from this guy won a prize at a fundraiser for a couple free lessons with this guy and he does all the accompaniment for my kids uh, high school and he's a really good player really fun and so i started playing. Uh, some lessons again. This time, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to learn it right. You know, learning uh, chord progressions and and the keys and all that stuff instead of just you know conversational type type approach. And uh, some of the music I've always enjoyed listening to and and I've tried playing a little bit in the past. Where I've taken lessons is sort of the new age stuff like uh, George Winston and uh, Suzanne Ciani are a couple. Favorites that I've had. Um and he gave me a song to play, and it's gonna take me a while to get to play it, but I loved it as soon as I heard it. And it's an Italian guy named Ludovicio Ainati. Never heard of the guy. But he's so good. Oh my gosh, some of the music is just it's yeah. really you sort of have to like it. You know, if you're hard rocker, you might not like it. But it's yeah. just great stuff to sit. I sit and listen to it when I'm working.
1: He's uh, great. I mean he oh, then, so there's know? a playlist on Spotify called uh-huh. like Peaceful Piano. Uh-huh. And he is like the first one there. Like, there's a lot of like tracks from him. It's super cool.
0: Yeah, I got this one. Yeah, he has he has an album from just recently called Moments of Peace. Um, the piece I'm playing is a little older. It's called I Giorno. Uh, really, really fun song to to play. I'm sure my family's tired of hearing me play it now, but I I certainly love practicing it. So anyway, point is, Ainati uh, is a great E I N A U D I is his last name. Great guy to listen to. But uh, like I said, even don't let yourself, don't stop yourself from learning new stuff, even old age like me in my 50s. All righty. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you, Vitor, for coming on and making my head spin with talk of Module Federation. Um, and thanks, AJ, for coming. And uh, if people want to follow you and read more about this or give you money or just hear your wisdom, where the ble- where blessing best places to do that?
1: Yeah, so you can find me in all social media. I have the same handle everywhere. It's Vitor, my name, V-I-T-O-R-M, Alencar. So uh, we maybe can share here. But uh, yeah, right now, I'm usually like creating more and more content. Uh, so you're probably going to see on YouTube and LinkedIn. I think I'm posting there more and more. So that's I think, the, the best place to send me a message if someone has a question or wants to know more about anything that I do. All With that, we will
0: wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time on JavaScript Jabber.